Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey there, welcome back to the show. This week's episode features Dania Klein. She's the vice president brand relations at Preenme. Dania and I met at an event at Cosmoprof, and I can say that if I make myself a little bit uncomfortable, go up to someone I've never met before and introduce myself, pretty awesome things can happen. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty. I'm super excited to be sitting next to Dania Klein. She's a VP Brand Relations at Preenme. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Very lucky to have met you in Vegas, of all places. Yes, I'm going to tell everybody how we met. So um, we were at a cocktail party for Cosmoprof in Vegas this summer, and... um, I just came over to you and said hi, and you said hi. I was so happy and relieved that somebody was talking to me. You get to these mixers, you think it's like a VIP event, and like 10 people are going to be there, and it's 500, and you're just looking for a friendly, cool face in the crowd. Yeah, and it was a pleasure to chat with you at that time. Yeah, I was so happy to meet you because I've seen Preen Me like everywhere, right? Um, and I never had to face the name, and um, I was just super excited to meet someone from that group and have someone nice to chat with. It's nice to know that. You know, even though our company is based abroad, that we kind of punch above our weight a little bit in terms of our editorial exposure and that people have heard about us. So, yeah, well, I feel like you're doing a really good job at that. I mean, that's important marketing to do and make sure that we know who you are. Even if I don't know exactly what you do, I I knew that you exist. You've heard of us. Yeah, Yeah. good. (laughs) And I also just love the idea that I met someone that I like at one of these events because I always have like a bit of, um, like nerves and fear around these things. Like, totally. am I going to have anyone to talk to? Am I going to stand there by myself with my seltzer? Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how I felt. I had just flown in from, you know, Tel Aviv, Paris, Detroit, Vegas, had changed my outfit, like run downstairs and, you know, to honestly have another woman who looks like your age, like has worked in the industry, kids, like trying to worry about what you're going to be doing on summer vacation in the same like moment that you're trying to like meet 500 people in these very intimidating conferences is a relief. You got it. Well, I'm happy that you're here visiting New York, so yes. we get to have you on our show. Yes. Happy to be invited. So it seems like travel, there's a lot of travel for you. Yeah. Like what percentage of your time are you traveling? T- today it's 30 to 40%. Yeah, I probably spend about three weeks in home base, which is Tel Aviv, and another kind of week to 10 days abroad, and then back again. I know, it's nuts. I never, we, we call it the frequent loser club. The more miles you acquire, the further you are away from your kids. Oh. You know? <laughs> I'm quoting Noam Maytal. Anybody, I need to give him credit because he came up with that. I didn't come up with it, but we call it that. Right. That's sort of, um, well, then you have all the miles for family vacations. Yeah, exactly. That's how I'm here now. It's actually the Jewish holidays. And so I, every year, bring my kids in, you know, to be with my family uh, over Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Even Sukkot is a holiday they get off for. They have literally eight days of school in Israel. For the month of September? For the month of September. I never even knew Sukkot was a holiday growing up here, so I plead ignorance. But yes, they are being spoiled, going to the likes of Target right now. For them, Target is as good as Disney World. We talked about like your love of Disney World. My kids think that that's about as great as it gets. Target is close. It's yeah. number two. Exactly. 
<laughs> they have like rows of Netflix characters that they've never seen brought to life before, like Ben 10. Have you ever heard of Ben 10? Mm-hmm. We can talk about that offline. Okay. So. <laughs> well, um, I'm glad that you're here. So let's just talk a little bit about travel. I really don't travel that often. Like when I travel, most of the time I'm choosing to travel. It's not like I'm forced to travel. Lucky you. Um, I know. I, it is lucky because I actually do like to be home. I like mm-hmm. to be in my PJs, you know, because yeah. the kids to bed at night and just having my own routine but um you know I imagine it takes like sort of like um, an important rhythm mindset wise like month after month keep it going because the energy I mean don't you get sucked of energy when you travel it's an adrenaline game for sure you know on some ways it's really freeing like I you know I have young kids I'm very attached to them and I kind of always dread leaving them but then there's always that kind of the second I close the door, I'm like skipping down the airport aisles like, oh, freedom, no dishwashing, no clothes to wash this week. That's great. Um, but then, you know, it takes an extraordinary level of organization to run an international business and to come. And, you know, we set up sometimes between 25 to 30 meetings for me when I come in over the course of the week. So I have a meeting sometimes every two hours, you know, somewhere in New York City in order to touch base with my clients and, you know, pitch new ideas and to, you know, present research and capabilities. And, you know, it really takes a tremendous amount of pre-planning. And I think that actually, you know, when I write my book one day, if I ever do, it will actually be about how you can, you know, be kind of an underdog, you know, sitting somewhere outside of the main hub, but you can punch above your weight, you can enter new markets, you can do tremendous business development if you're organized around your travel. Because if you really kind of go in, a great reason to meet with people is that you're in town, you know, or if you're just like, hey, you want hear about my services and what we do maybe not as interesting or compelling but when you really kind of have this FOMO of like you might miss me because I'm only here for a week right you have a great opportunity to convert and meet with people and talk to them where you might not normally be able to do it and you know I think that we've actually built a lot of what Premi does based on the fact that we are really organized around our travel so, um, you know, there is this feeling that I get when I travel where um, when I wake up in the morning, just I have to take care of me, uh-huh. and only me. Yeah, good for um, you. And, <laughs> and that's a really satisfying feeling. Yeah. Um, this idea of taking advantage of the fact that you're in town to actually get those meetings that are harder to typically get, that's yeah. a really fascinating new business sort of tactic. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only difference between that email and the meet with me email is I'm in town. Right. Um, it's sort of a fascinating impact that it has, though. It's tremendous. I mean, you have to you have to definitely tailor it down to uh, kind of the reasons why to meet in terms of new case studies that are relevant for that person, new experiences that you've heard about that might be relevant for them. Plus, that you're there, and I think that really helps convert. And, and I also call that I also call it like you know the three punch rule. It's like you let people know you're coming, expect no response, <laughs> and then you follow up with them again. And usually, like if you follow up with them at the beginning beginning of the week, the end of the week. By the end of the week, you know, hopefully you hear from the people it's most meaningful for, and then you get to, you know, do that. And then there's a whole science to confirming your meetings and, you know, making the most out of the time that you're there. And, you know, that's really, that's how we do it. And then if you're going through cycles, like I think it's really difficult to constantly be in a million cycles at once, like to be doing business development, you know, proposals and outreach and and that, in, in that world, closing and then executing those activities that you're doing all, and you have to do a little bit all at once, but if you're kind of in a focused cycle, 
but you have to be when you're abroad, which is like right now we're in pitching mode. Next week we're in follow-up mode. Week after that we're in proposal mode. Week after that we're kind of in kickoff mode. It does create a cadence to the way that the team works and that you work that I think is sort of symbiotic, especially, again, if you're not close by all the time. I didn't even know that that was an option to control the pace. The pace is just dropped sort of cycles around our travel. Right. So Right. <laughs> your your business development is when you travel. Exactly. When you're not traveling, it's, it's less it's less off the gas. You know, right. we take we do more generic, you know, we do more kind of what you call content marketing and, you know, we're we're setting out and that's how you end up hearing about us is that we work with, you know, editorial publications like CEW, WWD, Business of Fashion, and you know one of our key learnings and we'll talk about what we do also, but one of the key learnings from Preen Me is that, you know, data is the most critical piece for editors to be able to provide clarity and insights about what they're writing about today, also with business partners and brand partners as well. But it's really easy to collaborate with editorial partners when you can give them kind of the key you know, percentage or the key figure that helps really crystallize the story that they're writing that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise. So we work a lot on those kind of content marketing and story pieces, and we try to publish those through you know, our LinkedIn, through our own own channels, through, you know, the or editorial partner channels in those kind of off heavy marketing periods, if that makes sense. And as a combination of those things, you kind of do some soft, some hard, and kind of have an always-on strategy. Right. Okay. So this is very interesting. I'm going to think about this because I would like more pace, a better pace mm-hmm. in our own business development. And I didn't even think that I had the chance to control the pace a bit. But I'm going to talk to you about that off- offline. Before we jump into Preemie and how fascinating it is and your background, um, you mentioned something just now that I really want to talk about, which is confirming meetings. Okay. So in the very beginning of learning how to like sell anything. My friend Erin, who's a fantastic salesperson, she doesn't sell in beauty, but she's just awesome. She's like, I don't confirm my meetings because if I confirm my meetings, it's a chance for them to say, no, I'm not available. Yeah. Is that your philosophy? Not anymore. Okay. So tell me what your philosophy is now. My philosophy now is that every minute is so precious and that I cannot, I mean, I can definitely agree with her, her, her way of thinking when we first started, but I can also tell you that, you know, I showed up to a lot of meetings that were canceled as I was walking in as well. And so now I can't really afford that. And so now I believe that you should always check in the day before and make sure that, you know, that person's free, excited. And if not, you know what, it wins me back an hour of my life, which than I have visibility to. Right. Okay. That's fair. And I like that. And maybe I too am moving into that uh, phase. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like the, um, that power play move. Like, well, I'm showing up here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to come. Yeah. <laughs> right. I did that. I, I definitely, there's definitely different thinking, you right. know, you know, about what you want to share and what you don't want to share at different phases of your business. So, right. okay. So tell me about Preemie, what does this what does the company do? Okay. So I mean I think we've all heard the word influencer marketing and maybe we've all heard it ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Um, but the company started out as a beauty community. Many of us know many know us from our original Facebook page that started in 2011. We had a million followers in the first year, which was as big as Sephora and Lancome at the time with zero funding. And we ended up really growing our own community of sharing at the time content creators, people who showed how to get updos, how to do this wonderful manicure, you know, how to do this cat eye. We shared their content for them on Facebook. It got crazy engagement before, you know, Facebook was organic. It was like, you know, we were still like in our twenties then. Right. And then 
everything shifted to Instagram, you know, even Pinterest, Twitter before that. And we grew that group from 1 million to 2.5 million, rolling up our sleeves and learning what content creators and influencers were doing on each channel. And at the same time, creating a database and mapping and segmenting these influencers globally. And, you know, then it kind of is when I came on board to help systematize and monetize the business because, you know, it's great to be a great, robust beauty community, but how are you going to make money as a company? And what we really understood is brands kind of back in 2012 were starting to dip their toe in influencer marketing and said, okay, between me, you have access to this group. Will you do a mail out for us? Our very first project um, was with a L'Oreal brand, Lancome, who we, you know, sent out their Jason Wu collection. There was tremendous excitement, you know, from these kind of makeup content creators and YouTubers and Instagrammers who, you know, for the first time were able to be gifted, you know, this wonderful collection. They created, you know, three, four or five posts a person. And then, you know, you saw, okay, this is what happens in kind of a test. What can you do if you're more systematized about this and, and scale it? And so from there, we went to working with many brands, many manufacturers, many challenger brands from, you know, Charlotte Tilbury to Il Maquillage to, you know, many Unilever brands to, you know, Darfon, skincare, nail care, hair care. I think we have kind of best practices for every single subcategory and how to drive content creators, particularly micro-influencers and gifting programs how to really create high-quality content and help a brand grow their ambassador programs in social media. But of course, many people do that. I'm sure you've heard this pitch before, you know? <laughs> many people do this. And, you know, we realized in order to really develop a specialty, we had to go behind and look at the numbers. And the numbers we have in, in, in great richness, richness for um, because of the systems we've built along the way. And we have developed a social insights and business intelligence unit that, you know, I, I humbly can say powers some of the largest deals in M&A and beauty today. And we're able to provide a unique perspective on um, the social business health of a company by looking at you know, the volume of people who are posting, how they're posting, what are they posting about, the size of the different kind of segments of followers posting on a brand to really diagnose opportunities, levers for growth. And it's really able to help, you know, kind of big picture due diligence when, you know, an investor is about to, you know, really go into a bidding process, but it also helps in the prospecting phase and helps, you know, investors really understand nascent and early stage brands that they might want to, you know, look in and dig a little deeper into. So it's really a fascinating kind of work. I love doing it because, you know, I feel like it gives me a whole nother, you know, set of my brain to think about, but we love the influencer marketing as our bread and butter because I think it keeps us street smart, ear to the ground, understanding the trends. Um, and we do it really, you know, everywhere in the world, you know, like I said, I just wrapped up, um, you know, an M&A meeting uh, for a partner who, whose name I can't share, but, you know, around, you know, Asian beauty that's really interesting, you know, the, these kind of projects, I think, are kind of at the pulse of how segmentation is really the future of, you know, how influencer marketing is going to be leveraged in beauty going forward. 
Well, um, thank you for sharing that. And I do want to dive deeper offline because I find your company so fascinating. But I want to talk about you now. Oh, that's so nice. Right. Nobody else wants to know about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. And I want to hear about your career in beauty. And um, please share with us how learning a new language led to a career in beauty. <laughs> it's a funny story, right? Um, well, I guess I've already lent to the idea that, you know, I have a, a, a Jewish mother somewhere in the in the background. Um, you know, very early in my college career, I was pushed by a very good friend who said, you know, Japan is kind of descending. China is rising. You should study Mandarin Chinese. Go, you know? And I took her word. Actually, she lives a few blocks from where we're sitting today. So Candace Wong, thank you very much Hi, for Candace. the advice. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, I can't say that it came easily. I'm not a language, you know, wizard, but, you know, I stuck with it after three years of Washington University. I had like basic Chinese. I went to live there for two years and, you know, suffered even an emergency appendectomy there where my appendix had to be kind of whipped out. And I'm telling you, that's scary. That was so scary, (laughs) but it changed everything. Like it went from like being kind of a pursuit of trying to, you know, win over my ego and speak intelligently in Chinese to just having to survive in the hospital. And that's when I started to speak. It was like, oh, emergency surgery. Got it. Got it. Got it. You know? And, um, it just changed me from being kind of this like nice suburban New Jersey, you know, girl to being like, I think a woman who could be very adaptable to be able to, you know, live in 1997 China with the kind of infrastructure that was available at the time. And it sort of made me I think interesting when I was finally pushed by my Jewish mother to move when I moved back to the U.S., get out of the house, find a job, go network. And, you know, I was able to meet Jeanette Wagner, who was the head of Estee Lauder International at the time. And, uh, you know, this crazy story, her husband had had a heart attack in the hotel that I had worked at. You know, this is, again, in a crazy year where nobody even went to China. And I think she was so grateful to meet somebody who had actually heard of the hotel. She was so grateful he survived. She was so kind of surprised by my chutzpah to have actually, you know, lived there. And she basically assigned me to work on Clinique at the time, which was kind of their most... um, ambitiously positioned brand to succeed in China. Estee Lauder, to their credit, kind of seeded their brands early into the early department store infrastructure in China. And, you know, obviously, you know, Clinique and Lauder were really a big part of that picture. And I was able to kind of work on the early product development and partnering with, you know, the affiliate managers in Taiwan and China and Japan in order to kind of get the product mix a little bit more focused on their needs. And so I went from, you know, being a college student with an appendectomy in China to working on, you know, launches like Active White um, and some of the anti-gravity franchise that Clinique had, their acne solutions range. And it was just like a really exciting time to be at Clinique. We were kind of having banner banner wins in a lot of big categories. And, you know, I kind of backed my way into be a beauty marketer from this China experience. So I think this is so cool. And you told me the story about being a 22-year-old working on the brand. Uh-huh. Um, and um, you're sharing the story with me during our, our pre-interview call about, like, in retrospect, wow, like, I was so young and I was able to have such a big impact on a product launch. It's such a huge company. Um, share that story because I think it would be really meaningful to our younger listeners. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it was luck and having a wonderful mentor. So again, I want to shout out Ronnie McMahon, who was a wonderful boss and and mentor at Clinique, and she really valued any contribution because we were so scarce on international resources at the time, and she was so 
completely, uh, she was so willing to give me exposure. And at the time, uh, we were working on the stop signs launch at Clinique. And, you know, I was able as kind of, you know, a very young, you know, <laughs> I think I was even a presidential intern. That was my original title at Lauder at the time. Um, to participate in these discussions with, you know, Jim Nevins, who was the head of, you know, global advertising, and just was unheard of. They just shot a campaign for Asia Pacific that was about stopping the signs of aging. And the original image shot with Irving Penn, like the preeminent still life photographer at the time, you know, we were being part of this discussion was mind blowing at the time, but I don't even think I got it until I married a photographer. He's like, what? You got to kind of work with Irving Penn. I'm like, yeah, we got to give him briefs. And I wasn't there on set, I will say that. But when we saw the first outtakes of the shoot for Stop Signs, what came back to us was a picture of a cupcake with four white candles blown out. And, you know, everybody was sort of looking at it, you know, going around the meeting saying how nice it looked. And I'm like, hey, Jim, sorry, but, you know, Stop Signs, four candles white blown out. In Chinese, that kind of is a symbol for death. Se is the word for death in in Chinese, it's also the number four, and it has this, you know, uh, this meaning of, you know, the end. Four candles, white. White is the funeral color blown out. It means it's all over. I don't think that's what you want to tell a woman the first time she's experiencing Clinique anti-aging skincare. So we actually went back to the drawing board. We re reshot the campaign with like a beautiful, colorful cupcake, you know, lit up. It was so much more powerful also at point of sale to have some color in the shot. And, you know, we took it from there. And and, you know, it's, I just think that the key takeaways there are, you know, obviously you always have to be respectful in how you speak up when you're, you know, first starting in your career and you always have to sort of measure the audience, but you have to be able to speak your truth. Um, you know, if you're able to have that insight that can change the course of a business, you know, you have to be able to be able to vocalize it at the right time. And when you're able to do that, I think that that can help you accelerate um, you know, in your career trajectory. Right. The fact that you felt empowered to be able to do that is a really big deal because I'm sure as people are listening to this, they're thinking about many moments in my own career and our listeners' careers where um, maybe speaking up would it, wouldn't have gone over well. Sure. And, but yet the um, insight could have altered a business, right? Like, so you could have launched Clinique in this marketplace, skincare for Clinique, in a way that equaled death. <laughs> This right. that would be probably really challenging to turn around, right. right? But yet you held that insight, right? This is um, really a big moment. Um, but that I think speaks to like feeling empowered and knowing that the people who had uh, you reported to had my back. Yeah. yeah, I think that had a lot to do with it. And it was, you know, it, you know, there's always like big fish, small pond, small fish, big pond. And I think that at that time I was able to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond because Clinique International was like a smaller, more family team. You know, sometimes when you're in these big organizations, it would just be impossible to do that. And I, I recognize that. But I think that in my own career that I, I, I'm very grateful I've worked, you know, on Clinique, I worked on Calvin Klein Fragrances as well, like each of these large companies with many, many people uh, and many stakeholders. But I think I thrive best in a place where I can be, you know, have a stronger share of voice and be able to kind of be more nimble. And that's why I love the startup environment of Israel and Tel Aviv. And um, how have you brought that forward through the rest of your career, right? So you had incredible mentors and bosses. Like, where did you go from Clinique when you started to have a team of your own? to start to have my own. Well, I was, I was really fortunate that from Clinique, I was kind of plucked to move over on La Mer and Joe Malone. 
and it was, there was a brand that were just acquired in Lauder. Um, I think that La Mer maybe had one counter at Bergdorf Goodman, and Joe Malone was actually still, Joe was still on the brand. And so, you know, I think that these were tremendous experiences, and I, I really give the Lauder kind of HR team a lot of credit for being able to place me correctly as well, because, you know, I had... A, a, a passion for skincare, a luxury touch, and you know, an ability to kind of like work nimbly in a small group. And you know, I, I think that was really the first stage where I was able to kind of shine a little bit more within a small group. First, helping La Mer transition from being, you know, a brand that was basically being sold out of somebody's garage and at Bergdorf Goodman and really crystallized the story of Max Huber and, and help put it pen to paper and create the first collateral materials and really explain the brand to working like hand in hand with Joan Malone to really get her story of, you know, being an esthetician that created fragrance products that the fragrance products actually became the brand, you know? And I think, you know, again, having this small team, so collaborative, being able to roll up your sleeves and make an impact, you know, prime me for, you know, being able to have these incredible experiences, do this across a few different companies, and then have the courage, I think, when I became a mom to, you know, want to be able to create my own schedule, to be able to, you know, in, in Israel, it's possible to have a PowerPoint, an idea, and chase a dream and solve a big problem in the world. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily we're solving a huge problem in the world, but, you know, being able to kind of um, have flexibility, work closely with people that, you know, respect each other, that have each other's backs, that know that somebody's always going to be there to catch you. You can move very fast, very nimbly and get a lot of stuff done. And, you know, I personally find that really rewarding. But on the other side, I would never, ever downplay the importance of having a strong corporate background because, you know, this gives you the organizational skills, the writing skills, you know, the P&L management, the, you know, budget management, the forecasting management, all these kind of thinking that, you know, I think are such a great balance and that a lot of startups actually don't have because they know how to kind of think and innovate and, and be creative, but actually when they need to package and market their own product, it's really difficult. And in, in that case, I think there's a really strong opportunity in a lot of these kind of like Silicon Valley, you know, cities across the world um, for, for marketers who have worked in corporate settings to add a lot of value. That's so interesting you say that because I feel like many times the feedback I get just anecdotally from friends and new friends in the business is that the people with that experience, mm-hmm. this more old school experience, um, feel very kind of lost and alone mm-hmm. in this marketplace now because it is a little wild west. Yeah. Um, so having this point of view that actually like the, the, there's such strong value in that experience for startups. Yep. Um, you know, maybe a little uncomfortable, right? It's very different to go from having like a very nice voluptuous budget right. to work with every year for launches to going to no budget, right? Exactly. And being scrappy. It's very hard. It's not for everybody. Yeah. But it's interesting to think that um, those people who kind of feel like they're not, not super valued because of their experience can actually go to a startup and 
have a true strong value for their experience. I believe so. You know, I really think that you have to look. I mean, I even know of a company who started um, kind of a CMO placement job because they know that a lot of these startups just don't have that marketing ingrained inside of what they do. So there's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of business development. But when it talks about like really thinking about, you know, how do we speak about ourselves? How do we, you know, start to really scale some of the activities that we've done? I think there is a discipline, but you know that person who's making that change and think about, you know, there are just no layers to hide behind anymore. <laughs> like you just have to be ready, you know. And you know, when you're talking about founder-led companies, where you know, like you know, there's, it has to be totally symbiotic. It's really about, I think, it's passion, it's team, and that's really everything. And you know, I think that is the secret success to what we do at Prain Me is that you know the group of people, my partners, founders, um, you know, and the group that have been with us from the early stage are just so committed and so excited and always like just willing to flex all the time. Everything is in constant motion. Nothing is settled ever, you know, but the idea is if you can kind of, if you find that exciting, you know, even at my age, you know, you can kind of have a rebirth, I think, in your career. Well, well, Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. And for our listeners, please visit us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast and tell your friends. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.